Welcome everybody to the latest Flogger Presents. I have with me another special guest, and it is Tim from Stearman Press. Hello. Hello. Yes. How are you today, Tim? Oh, we're doing we're doing well for a Monday. Well for Monday. Uh, th- thanks again for um, coming on board and having a chat with me. Well, it's good to be here. Um, Tim has been recommended by Jason Lane of uh, the Dry Plate um, people we discussed in a previous episode. And um, he's told me uh, really to check out Tim's work because he's somewhat of an inventor, would you say? I like to think so. Yeah. I like to, I, I kind of consider myself a Renaissance man. Um, <laughs> doing all kinds of crazy things i'm formally trained as an engineer okay and it's hard to leave that behind and this whole thing started oh four years three and a half years ago okay when in the summer my middle daughter who was 15 at the time was interested in old-fashioned film somehow that topic came up and she was interested in film so I got out my 35 millimeter Olympus OM-1 that I'd had since high school. Oh. And we shot a couple rolls of film and she got a new smartphone and that was the end of that. But I kept playing around with it and found the equipment that I, you know, I lusted after when I was younger and couldn't possibly afford is now affordable. Yeah. And so I started shooting some medium format was having some fun with that, and then uh, found myself playing around with 4 by 5 and discovered there really wasn't a good method for processing 4 by 5 film, mm. at least nothing I considered to be a good method. Yeah. And, of course, being an engineer, I couldn't, uh, you know, I, I couldn't let it stay that way. <laughs> so we started experimenting with some different ideas, and we came up with what we call the SP-445 film tank, which you've probably seen on the website. Yes, I have, yeah. That was a long, iterative process. That was launched as a Kickstarter three years ago, okay. just over three years ago. And I told my wife when we did it, I said, we'll, we'll try it as a Kickstarter. We'll see what happens. Um, worst case, the, um, you know, we at least convinced the IRS that it's tax deductible because we were serious about it. You know, there'd be some tax advantages there if, if the whole thing falls apart. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I really don't know what to expect. And we, I assume you're familiar with Kickstarter and how. Yeah, yeah, I've talked to a few people. How, you know, crowd crowdfunding, you have to reach your goal within a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And we were set up, we needed about 20, just over $27,000. And we hit that funding goal in three days. Wow. And we just, we were like, what on earth happened here? <laughs> we were not expecting that. You know, I thought we had a good chance of, of hitting the funding goal, but I had no idea that by the time the campaign ended, we would have a thousand people waiting for film tanks. A thousand? We, uh, on the Kickstarter, it was close to a thousand people by the time we were, time wow. we were done. And at that point, we said, this is more than, this is a bigger thing going on here than we know about. We, we need to figure out what's really happening. And that's when we decided to turn it into, a, you know, another part of the business. We had launched it under our Stearman Press label, 
under the publishing company because it just seemed like a logical place for it to be. It was more, all right, we have, we have two companies. We have one called Gem Innovation where we do engineering and manufacturing and circuit boards and computers and stuff like that. And then we have the Stearman Press side, which we're, you know, we're supposed to be publishing books. I've been too busy with the film world <laughs> to too much in the book world, but uh, it just seemed to fit under that better. And so uh, that has turned into the major product line for Stearman Press. And now we have a couple more products, you know, that are, is in, are in development, no puns intended. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you hear the helicopters in the background. Yeah, come, yeah. Come here, yeah. Okay, yeah, we're, we're about a thousand feet from the Erie Municipal Airport. So okay. we'll, we may pick up some aircraft noise in the background here. Oh, no, that's cool. Um, so what are the books supposed to be? So you're, you're a publisher. What, what genre? Well, the, the whole thing that started on the publishing, that started about seven years ago. Um, again, I keep wandering into things by accident. <laughs> I, I was reading one of my wife's romance novels. I don't know if your wife reads that kind of stuff or not, but my wife is always reading something. And I was thumbing through one of her romance novels, just kind of perusing it. And I said, I could write better crap than this. And cause my mom was an English teacher. My grandmother were, was an English teacher. Both my sisters have taught English at college, at the college level. Oh. Um, so I had a very, very literary, you know, youth. Anyway, I said, I could write something better than this. And my wife said, well, go ahead. So kind of on that dare for Christmas, like I say, six or seven years ago, I wrote her a romance novel. And that was the first book. It's, it's a fictional book set in World War II because it's got to have an airplane in it. <laughs> you know, we were very aviation orientated around here. Okay. And so it has to have an airplane in it. So it's a fictional book of, uh, you know, World War II underground res uh, resistance movement actually placed in Brazil. Um, a lot of people don't under don't realize that Hitler actually had his eyes on Brazil, had a huge German um, population, or a huge German um, contingent in Brazil. Okay. And there was actually concern early on in the war that Brazil could end up falling to the Germans very early, which would have been quite a disaster, actually. Wow. So that was the first book, and then there have been several other um, fictional books that have followed and a whole bunch more that are supposed to be following, but I'm too busy trying to get film products out to mm -hmm. finish any of the writing. So <laughs> that, that, all, that all just kind of globbed together. It was never really planned. Okay. So that's your daughter's fault then? Was that your daughter's fault then? Well, that yeah, you can blame Erin for some of that. <laughs> and the irony of it is she wants to be a writer as well. She's oh, a very God. talented writer. And so when she's not busy training horses, she wants to, to write books as well. So we'll see how all that goes. Mm. And I'm encouraging my youngest daughter, who's the artist, to work on some of her art and something we could publish there as well. Okay. She's more, she's the graphical, our, the, our middle girl, like I say, is the horse training author she likes writing and writing um and of course our son is the is the engineering geek he's off as a senior in computer engineering so wow talented family there 
Yeah, they, uh, I like to think they take after me, but my wife would probably argue with that. <laughs> totally always. So. So have you, have you always been into photography then? Same since you were. Well, I was I was heavily involved in, as. Oh, starting in the eighth grade, I, I developed my first roll of film. Do you remember? Did you ever use uh, develop roll film in a tray? No, no, I'm quite new. Where you saw it? Where you seesaw the film back and forth in the tray? All right. I don't know if you've ever heard no, of that. No, I haven't. No. That's how I developed my first roll. It must have been. It was probably one twenty film. Okay. It was probably what it was. I honestly don't remember. Um, I, I honestly don't remember what size it was, but I remember I did that in the basement, eventually ended up with my own darkroom at, at home through high school and did quite a bit. And at one point was pretty serious about going into it professionally. And then somehow I got dragged into the dark side of engineering, uh, the computer side of things fascinated me. I ended up going that route and I, I still have my original darkroom and larger and all that. You know, I still have all that, but I uh, haven't used it in 30 years. I've got a four by five and larger now, but I still have the original darkroom equipment. But there was a period of probably 20 years where I didn't do much. I got into the digital sort of early with some of the earlier point and shoot digital cameras. And for a lot of what I was doing, chasing the kids around, that was adequate. And... Uh, but then, like I say, three years ago, got back into the film world. And uh, now we're shooting 8 by 10 So Yeah, 8x10, wow. Proper large format. Well, that's our, our next project. Is well, So we did the 4x5 film tank, the SB445. Um, and almost immediately, we had people asking for hmm. the... Uh, uh, five by seven and eight by 10, mostly eight by 10. Okay. And then there'd be people asking for five by seven. And then we get these, these weirdos that are shooting these odd European sizes, you know, <laughs> that no one's ever heard of over here, like the nine by 12, which right. you can barely buy in the U S okay. and, um, 13 by 18, which is a couple millimeters larger than five by seven. Yeah. So we get requests for those, but mostly eight by 10. We we're getting a lot of people wanting eight by 10. And we tried, if you go on our blog and you go back in our website and stuff, you can see where we tried um, and just enlarging the five by seven or the four by five tank to an eight by 10. Yeah. And we actually, you know, we spent a significant amount of effort and uh, time trying to enlarge, you know, um, scale that up. Okay, yeah, yeah, makes sense. It, it, just, it just didn't work. Oh, okay. I mean, the thing, by the time you filled it with a liter and a half of chemistry and you're trying to invert it, it was a beast to handle. The mold costs were going through the roof. The, it was just going to be outrageous, and it just wasn't practical. Okay. We also tried a 5 by 7 version. We then experimented. We were experimenting this last fall, August, September time frame. We were experimenting with um, a tank that didn't have any carriers in it, but it would hold one sheet of eight by 10, mm -hmm. kind of like a taco method. And you could slide in. In fact, it's on our, our website. And I think we did a video or two on it. And that worked fairly well, but it would only do eight by 10. Right. You couldn't do any other sizes. 
and we started running into some some minor issues with it at the same time we were experimenting with uh the tr a tray method i don't know if you've heard of a guy um named tim layton yes yeah i follow this way yeah and uh we were talking with him he's helped do some of our testing and, and give us some feedback um, i mean tim knows more about film processing i think than george eastman ever knew but wow. anyway he really knows his stuff and he was pushing us towards the tray he said give it another shot try the nut tray and the teardrop wasn't teardrop tank wasn't working quite as well as we wanted so we we started experimenting with the tray tank again we had uh we had tried it before and we wanted to be able to do two sheets of film at a time two sheets of eight by ten and we've, after a great deal of experimenting, we concluded that just isn't practical. Mm -hmm. Trying to get uh, even development with two sheets and, you know, you, you think you could just stack them. Where, yeah, where did the yeah. camera go? I can't find them. I can't find, there we go. You know, you think you just stack them like that. And it just, it was just virtually impossible. And we abandoned that idea after doing some market research. And what we found is roughly 20% of our users we're only going to process one sheet at a time anyway okay if they're going to do well a lot of the and the reason for that a lot of these guys are shooting n plus one or n minus one when you're shooting eight by ten film you're pretty serious about it yeah and so they're setting up for that exact shot and they're going to want to process that negative in a very specific way and so they were processing them all one at a time anyway. The guys that are shooting four or five shots and they want to process it once, they, they probably have a, you know, one of those monster Jobos that they spent two or $3,000 on, and they'll go use that. But most of them are going to, 20% said they would never process more than one sheet at a time. About 60%, 60 or 70% said, well, it'd be nice to do two sheets at a time, but it's not necessary. And then there was about 15% roughly that said they would always do two sheets at a time. So we just kind of looked at those numbers and said, we, we're, we need to aim at that 80% of the market. And to really complicate this design, and now you need you know a liter and a half of chemistry and the, everything has to be bigger and you have to have special trays or, or some sort of uh, pallets in there to hold the film and the cost is gonna go way up. For that 15% that might use it, it just wasn't worth it. Okay. So we dropped back and said, we're going to do a tray for one sheet of 8x10, two sheets of 5x7, four sheets of 4x5. Because wow. they'll all fit in one layer. Okay. Now, we are right now, our testing has been with 500 milliliters of chemistry. We've gotten beautiful results with that. Tim has actually... Um, I think he actually has this out in his video where he's actually gotten away with 200 milliliters of chemistry for a sheet of eight by 10. Wow. And we're, we're going to be following up on that and seeing how that works. But even 500 milliliters isn't bad. No, no, it's fine. No, no, yeah. Yeah. It's half a liter. Don't big deal. So uh, we're still experimenting with that. Uh, we've got, I think we're, we're expecting the, uh, some parts from our 3D printer today or tomorrow. I haven't, I haven't seen an email on them yet. Um, 
for the, the next prototype, Rev4 prototype that we're working on. Hopefully have that thing um, up and working this week. Uh, we're com Like I say, we're completely remodeling the darkroom this week. We're completely realigning our electronic assembly line. <laughs> um, you know, this, this tray, the next prototype ready to be testing this week. And mm -hmm. if you're in the Denver area, and you want to uh, come test it out, let us know. Mm -hmm. We could arrange for you to come try it. Um, we're going to be building, probably be building two prototypes. And I'd be happy to send you some pictures or you can get them off our website if you want to link them to people. We're going to be building two prototypes. One will be going out to our, our beta test team. And the other one won't leave the building. It will stay here. But if somebody wanted to come in and, and play with it, we could probably arrange that. That's cool, yeah. I think there's nonstop flights from uh, the UK to Denver, so <laughs> just just hop on over. Yeah, no probably yeah. One of the things we're working on for the film tank is a we're calling it the smart cap. Okay. And I can show you a picture of it. That's actually going to fit the back of it isn't on it. Um that's going to fit on a cap and I'll have a temperature probe coming out of it. And you can see the probes just dangling right there, ah. but that will, that will screw into the top of the film tank. Right. And it will not only give you the temperature in the film tank right, during your processing, it will also has a timer in it. So you can keep track of the time. Right, that's good. We're also adding a, we're going to add the function that compensate it's going to be what they call a temperature compensated timing where if the temperature deviates from 68 degrees you know 20 degrees celsius mm -hmm. if it if temperature increases the time is going to speed up if the temperature decreases the time will slow down now if you set it for seven minutes it's still going to show seven minutes it's just you know say things got it's like 72 degrees and, you know, you've seen the standard tables for adjusting your time. Basically, we're going to implement that in software. So um, we'll just slow down the count, slow down the seconds or speed up the seconds mm -hmm. to uh, adjust for the time. That's a good idea, yeah. Very practical as well, isn't it? Yeah, and hopefully that will be ready. We're supposed to be ready last month. Obviously, we didn't make it. Yeah. Um, the prototype was supposed to be ready last month, but we didn't get, we got tied up with some software issues on it. But hopefully next, uh, hopefully sometime in April here, we'll have the prototype working. What sort of time of the year would you anticipate sort of for sale then? For the smart cap? Uh, for the 8x10 tank. 8x10, back on that. Um, the basic schedule, if we... If we're happy with the prototype, let's say we're happy with the prototype by the middle of April, mm -hmm. and that's probably realistic. And there's a whole bunch of design work to do on the mold yet and get and get things tweaked and optimized. So if, if we give the mold shop uh, the go-ahead to start cutting metal in the middle of April or towards the end of April, it's probably four to five weeks for them to finish the molds. Okay. And then another week or so for them to uh, to run the first test test units, mm -hmm. and then ship them over here, so we can play around with it. And then 
realistically, they're going to send it to us. We're going to find something we want to change or something needs to be tweaked. So they're going to have to cut, the, you know, they have to modify the mold a little bit. That's almost given. Hmm. Maybe we'll get lucky and we won't have to. But so, and, uh, the, you know, that could be the end of May, early June, that we could see the first prototypes. And then production would probably follow a few weeks after that. So hopefully in July, I think we would, we might have the eight by 10, um, might be shipping the first eight by 10 trays um, sometime in July, uh, late July, early August is kind of what it's looking at right now. Now, I don't know if you saw the web, the website we had on that, where we basically ran a Kickstarter without Kickstarter. Hmm. We ran our own hosted um, crowdfunding campaign on that. Yeah, that's a great and, idea. Well, it had a lot of advantages for us. The biggest advantage, A, I didn't have to deal with the Kickstarter people because they're really kind of a hassle to deal with. Okay. Um, but we didn't have to deal with them. But in this case, we didn't hit the funding goal. But And it, it, with Kickstarter, if we hadn't hit the funding goal, we wouldn't have gotten any money. And it would have been dead. Yeah. With this, we got close enough. We have a couple of our distributors that are, have expressed very serious interest in it. And we said, okay, we're gonna go ahead and do it anyway. You know, we'll put our own money in it and we're gonna launch this thing anyway. So uh, that's, cool. that's how this, and, and that validates the market. You know, the money is really nice, it's really important. Yeah. But getting people to punch their credit card number in tells you they're serious. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, I, can go to, I, I can go to a lot of people and say, hey, I got this great idea. What do you think of it? And they'll say, oh, yeah, that's a wonderful idea. And then you say, okay, give me your credit card number and I'll, I'll save you a unit. And now all of a sudden it's, well, maybe it's not such a great idea. <laughs> you find out when they're, if they're really serious about it, yeah. um, when they have to put some skin in the game. Yeah, that's fine. So do you put a deposit down or how does it work? Basically, it was set up with a pre-purchase. And we ran that till the early part of February, where they could basically buy it at a lower price. We had it on the um, campaign page. Uh, I think it was $123 plus shipping. Um, and the shipping is really, we're really not sure what's going to happen with the shipping because the shipping costs to Europe were ridiculous. It was like 40 bucks. And oh, we still yeah. had a lot of, we still had a lot of, um, a lot of people um, sign up. Uh, in spite of that, there is nothing. And, uh, is there? I'm sorry. There, there is nothing, is there? You've got no competition in theory. Well, that's part of it. Mm. There isn't a lot of good eight by ten solutions out there, um, and we're going to be able to do eight by ten and four by five and probably some other sizes. Like Jason likes it because you can, you know, the glass plates are. It's perfect for the glass plates. Ah. You can't. You can't process a glass plate in a jobo. Okay, yeah, true, yeah. That's true, you know, yeah. That's just isn't going to work. Yeah. And, and that's another reason we went with the tray design was the glass plate um, market, it really seems to be booming. Yeah. There's a lot of people that love those glass plates, and I've played around with them. I, I, you know, I think they're really exciting. They give you a different look. It's a whole different experience to, to use them. But anyway, we have it listed at, I think, $123.00. The production price, you know, come July or whatever, when we're in full production, I think it's going to be closer to 150. Okay. So we're giving people a little bit of a price break up front for backing us. Yeah, that's fine. And I say, hopefully, um, hopefully we'll be shipping those first ones out of here in in July, um, early August. Yeah, 
that's where it's look what it's looking like right now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I, I die with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it'd be nice to show off your product to everyone. It really will. Um, yeah. So, inventing then. What? Come on then. What else have you done? Because I know what you guys are like. You're always inventing things. You've either got a book with ideas, or blueprints, or you've got a list somewhere of things you want to make. Oh yeah, we've got. Um, uh, I'm not well. There, there's a couple complications. We, mm -hmm. you know, we invent things for a living. Yeah. In fact, that's. In fact, I'm putting a video. Where re one of the reasons we're rearranging things is we want more. We need more a bigger video studio because I want to do a series on inventing. Oh, okay. I'm actually calling it the top 10 things I wish inventors knew before they started to invent. Okay. Because people, it, it seems everybody I've ever met, well, almost everybody I've ever, every, every creative person I've ever met hmm. either has a book they want to write hmm. or an invention they want to put to the market hmm. or both. And there's a lot more to it than a lot of people think. They, they don't know what they're getting into. And when someone brings us one of those ideas, um, we've, we've got a guy here in the last couple of weeks is bringing us a new idea for the uh, construction market, which obviously I can't talk about. Yeah. But anyway, again, we spend the first two or three, four weeks educating them on what they're getting into. Okay. on how this whole process works and how, what is it going to really take to make this into a product? Mm. And so I want to put all that into a video. You know, I'm doing a, it's going to be about a 10 minute video, the top 10 things you ought to know before you try to invent something. Mm. And we've got a whole series of those that are coming. Um, as far as the f photo world goes, we, we've got several ideas that are in works. Um, I hate to say it, but I'm not ready to talk about them yet. No, they're too far. <laughs> yeah, they're they're just down. They're they're uh, scheduled for next year oh, if everything nice. goes right. Yeah. Um, I probably have. I'm, I'm just kind of sorting through things. Frankly, the film tray has been taking up a lot more um, time and resources than we expected. Yeah. It it always does. Yeah. That kind of stuff always takes more effort than you expected it to. So we haven't had time to focus on some of the other ideas. Um, what else? We have the smart cap that we're coming out with. That's another one that's taking a little more energy. It always takes longer than you think. Okay. So those are the, the two biggest related to photography right now that uh, we can talk about. I say we've got, I think we've got some really exciting ideas coming out if we can, yeah. um, pull everything together on it. Some of them are very technology intensive. Right. And I've actually got uh, a team of, uh, I think, four people working on it part time mm. as, as part of a, um, a school project. My son is, like I said, he's a senior in computer engineering and they need a, a, a senior project. Oh. So we gave, them, we gave them a senior project. <laughs> They're supposed to be done by the end of the year. We'll see. We'll see how that comes out. Oh, that's nice, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so both the tanks, are they both made of, uh, like, plastic? 
It's not saying that. Oh, the tanks, yeah, the tanks. The uh, SP445 is ABS plastic, right. which we chose because it's it's rugged and it's gluable, it's repairable. If it ever cracks, you know, you step on it or something, you can actually glue it. Yeah, that seemed to work very well. The The tray that will be coming out, because it's so large, and for some other reasons, we're gonna, we're gonna mold that out of a ABS um, polycarbonate blend. Oh, okay. It should still be gluable, but it's gonna be a lot stronger. It's more expensive, hmm. but because it's so big, we wanted something a little more dimensionally stable and something, uh, yeah, it's a little stronger given the, the size. I mean, that tray is gonna be, I have to think here, 200 and roughly 250 millimeters by 300 or, or 330 or something like that. Yeah, okay. I'd have to open up the drawing, take a look at it. Mm. So mm. anyway, like I said, if somebody wants to see the details, that's on our website and our blog, and we'll have another blog posting on that this week. You know, another update on that here. Because what we're doing right now on that uh, if you've seen the design, hmm. here, here's what we learned. You, you know, you, here's one of the first rules of inventing. Okay, I'm going to digress here a little bit. The first rule of inventing, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know the questions you need to ask until you have to ask them. Yeah. And one of the things we discovered uh, early on that may sound like a big surprise it's kind of surprising, at least was to us, is film sinks. If if you've ever done tray processing, once you get that film under the liquid, it stays there. Yeah. You know, and we actually went and measured it. And film has a density from what we could tell, my memory is right, it was one and a half grams per uh, cubic centimeter. Water, by definition, has a density of one gram per cubic centimeter. And so the film is going to sink. The trick is getting it through the surface tension. Hmm. And so what we're doing with the tray, the way you're going to use this tray is you'll just throw the film. There's no film holder or anything in there. You'll just throw the film in, load it in the dark, of course. Hmm. And we have a series of hold down tabs. Got to get up in the can. I keep looking down here because my camera, my camera's up here. Your picture's down here. It's confusing. <laughs> But anyway, um, we have this series of hold down tabs that will just hold the film under the liquid mm -hmm. to start with. And you'll have to, you'll do a pre-soak, mm -hmm. do a 30 second, one, one minute pre-soak. Yeah. Once that film is saturated and wet, it's gonna, and, and those tabs are keeping it under the water, it's gonna, and when you drain that water out, the surface tension is gonna glue that film to the bottom of the tray. Mm. So now when you pour in the developer, the developer comes right across the surface of the, of the film. The film stays down. There's enough you know, um, movement underneath the film so liquid gets underneath it and washes the anti-halation layer off. But basically the film just floats around in the solution very much like it would in an ordinary tray. Okay. And when you dump out the developer, again, the uh, surface tension is going to hold that film to the bottom of the tray hmm. and you add your stop bath. Uh -huh. But we want to make those hold down tabs. They need to be in, in different positions. Well, 
on each end of the tray on, on the lid, we're mounting them in the lid now. And at each end of the lid, you need them for eight by 10. However, um, for five by seven, you need a set of them in the middle. Yeah. But you need to be able to remove those. And so one of the tricks was coming up with a way that you could snap them in place and be 100% sure they weren't going to come loose. Yeah. I actually have some of my son's Legos down here. We were actually experimenting with Lego blocks uh-huh. to see if we could if we could do it with Legos, and it just wasn't wasn't going to work. Okay. So we ended up with a slide mechanism that's going to slide under some hold down fingers and lock into place, and we're expecting those parts today or tomorrow, and okay. we'll get the lids modified, and then we'll probably build two more complete prototypes. But by moving those fingers around you can uh, go for, you know, different sizes. You can go, you put them in place for four by five or, or five by seven or eight by 10. Yeah. Okay. That's, um, that's interesting. You've obviously learned a lot from building this, haven't you? Yeah, it's been, um, it's it's been quite an experience frankly we didn't know what we were getting into hmm. with the first four by five tank i had no idea what a religious discussion it was hmm. to talk about agitating your film right on how you agitate your film yeah i had no idea how seriously some people took that uh, I always just, you know, I either just spun the little knob around in the top of the tank or I flipped the tank upside down. I I never really worried about it. Yeah. And, oh, my goodness, we got people mad at us. Yeah? Uh, it, it amazed me. And there wasn't a lot of them, but there were a good number of people that sent us long emails on that first tank, sent us long emails. Well, Ansel Adams used a tray, and that's good enough for him. It's good enough for me. Oh. Okay, we're not stopping you. Go use the tray. <laughs> we're not going to outlaw it. Go use it. We don't, why are you telling me that you're never going to use it? I don't care. You know, fine. You you know, if it works for you, do it. Yeah. But other people on whether you agitate every 30 seconds, whether you pre-soak, whether, um, you know, all these different things, some of which go back quite literally, I think some of them probably go back a hundred years. Okay. You know, the, what they did 100 years ago, and people are still doing it, the biggest one is pre-soaking. Yeah. Um, we've gotten into discussions with people on the pre-soak where if you actually talk to uh, Ilford, you may have heard of them over there in England. Just I slightly. <laughs> yeah. If you actually talk, and we're, um, we communicate with them, you know, fairly often, not, you know, a lot, but when we need to, we have contacts there. And, and they advise, and I think this is in their literature, uh, they don't recommend pre-soaking anymore. No, no. You don't need it. There's no reason to do it. Yeah. But try to explain that to people. A lot of people are going to pre-soak no matter what. Now, with the, um, with the film tray, we're going to insist that you do a pre-soak. It has nothing to do with chemistry and everything to do with physics. We want the film wet. And we want it stuck to the bottom of the tray when you add the developer, so the developer goes right across the surface. Yeah. That has, that's that's physics, not chemistry. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, we didn't realize uh, on the agitation front <laughs> just how serious people would get. And I thought when I, you know, this was three years ago now, we're in the middle of this. I thought, well, this has been around a hundred and some years. There must be all sorts of scientific studies that have been done and PhD dissertations on film agitation. Kodak must have done it. Ilford must have yeah, done must things. Have I couldn't find it. Uh, I found I found one article on that where somebody actually approached this scientifically. It was back in the late 50s, early 60s. I think it was 60 or 62, someplace back in that time frame. It was actually a magazine out of England. Um, I'm trying to, I don't remember the name. I could look it up. But they actually set up a studio, shot a whole bunch of film, exactly controlled, you know, same identical controlled circumstances, and then agitated it all kinds of different ways. Uh, Everything anybody was doing. And then they went to a densiometer and measured every negative to come to a conclusion as to what impact the different agitation techniques had on the results with the film. Their conclusion was it couldn't be measured. Oh my God. They couldn't, they could not measure a difference except there's an exception. If you were, and and this is off my memory, I'd have to look at, I'd have to read the article again. If you were taking like Kodak Tri-X and shooting it at, and, and back then it was an ASA, you know, of, oh, 3200 or something, mm-hmm. or you were taking some of the other really high speed films and you were pushing them to the limit, mm-hmm. then the agitation technique um, played a bigger role. But yeah. for 98% of us shooting film normally, they, they couldn't see a difference between inversion or spinning a little knob on top of the tank or any of the different things that people get so excited about. Now, I'm sure that will get some people excited when I when we say that, but... <laughs> You're free, you know, people are free to go try your own thing and, and, and see what works for you. And the, and the secret, I, I think the best thing to do is, is go and experiment. One of the things that's been hard for me, because I, t- I like to be in a hurry, I tend to get in a hurry, um, is you need to sit down and write down what you're doing and take some decent notes. And I, I finally told myself, if, if I can't take the time to record the exposure when I'm shooting this, you know, shot, then I really probably don't belong in four by five. Yeah. But I can't take that extra 20 seconds to write it down. Then I, I need to take out my digital and be done with it. Yeah. Cause we're already going slower out way. So if you really want to master the, the large format, you, you have to approach it a little more scientifically than a lot of people have well i've only just started so yeah <laughs> literally i took my first uh, i've took one shot a month ago and then i took about four shots um yesterday and this is four by five yeah my first attempts ever uh, and i shot two glass plates as well oh okay well we have a glass plate holder what, what, what size are you shooting? You said 4 by 5 Yeah. The glass plates are 4 by 5 Yeah. Um, we have a 4 by 5 glass plate holder for the tank. Okay. Um, those are, are custom built. They're th- right now, they're 3D printed. Um, so they're kind of pricey. Mm. But uh, they will hold, you can put two 4 by 5 or 9 by 12 plates in our um, film tank. 
Okay. Now we're looking, you asked about our other inventions. We are looking at doing a combo and I think Jason has the prototype, he's supposed to be testing it, that would have nine by 12 on one side and four by five on the other side. All right. You know, combo, if you've seen our film holders, you normally put two sheets of film back to back. Well, think? this would allow you to put in, you know, either two nine by 12s or two four by five plates. Mm. And if we can make that into a mold and if there's enough demand for it, you know, we'd make a mold and that would get the price down a little bit. And the nine by 12 market is quite popular in, in uh, I think mainly Germany. Okay. I think there's a lot of nine by 12 plate um, plate shooters over there. Just shows that, you know, each country has got its own <laughs> things, are not it? Yeah, the Germans seem to, like I say, the 9 by 12 and the 13 by 18 from what I've seen as far as requests for equipment, those seem to be a German format. I think there's a, a few in the UK that are shooting the 13 by 18, but we don't hear a lot about that. No, there's always a few people shooting everything, can there? So, um... Oh, yeah, and Jason will tell you, he's got... He's got people shooting glass plates in their Hasselblad. And we're hoping to be able to accommodate a lot of those with our tray system. Hmm. With the with the 8x10 tray system, you'll be, anything smaller than 8x10, we should be able to fit in. What would you say is the most important thing about your, your work? Is it the product? Is it what you're trying to achieve? Or enjoying yourself? Well, yeah, that's a um, that's a tricky question. Uh, I haven't really thought about it. My my wife would tell you that it needs to make money. <laughs> I would say that it. I think it's a combination. Uh, it's it's a combination of a lot of things. Hmm. A lot of it for most inventors want to know that their invention was appreciated. Yeah. You know, and that you've actually helped fix something. Yeah. I, I think maybe for for me, um, that's a lot of it. Uh, I like, I, I, I told somebody once that my, my three strongest characteristics is I, I like to invent things, I like to teach things, and I like to fix things. Right. And so if I can combine those, and, and the SP445 film tank has clearly... Um, fixed a lot of problems for people yeah you know i get emails almost almost weekly where we hear about people said i never would have gotten back into four by five if it hadn't been for this film tank yeah i don't have a full-blown dark room i can't stand around and you know process in a tray yeah. i wouldn't do it if i could didn't want to try that but this tank has opened that up for me yeah because about Probably 40, last time we took a survey, over 40% of our customers did not, um, did not have a darkroom. Okay. And they're, they're doing it in a changing bag. In fact, we actually put a bunch of YouTube videos together on how to build your own changing box. Because I wasn't happy. I don't know what you're using if you have a darkroom or how you're doing it. Yeah. But I wasn't happy with, you know, the little fluffy changing bags yeah. to, to change film in. And so we actually built one out of cardboard 
put the sleeves in it and and show people how to build one you can collapse you can actually unfold the you know fold the thing up and slide it behind your couch oh that'd be useful so that that you those youtube videos are out there and the links are away i can send you all the links and stuff for that yeah, yeah. but 40 percent of our customers are doing that they don't have a full-blown darkroom yeah. another 20 or 30 percent have some sort of a dark room yeah they can set one up in their bathroom they can you know they got a room in the basement they've, they've got some place where they can uh set up a temporary dark room when they need to yeah though a lot of times they don't use that very often there's probably about 25% that have a dedicated full dark room, you know, a traditional dark room where you would expect, you know, with the, maybe with, maybe with a sink, usually with a sink, but maybe not, mm-hmm. but they'll have an actual dark room. So again, you know, given those numbers, roughly 60% of the respondents that we've talked to are um, scanning their film. They aren't doing wet prints. Yeah. And I don't know what you're planning to do if you're if you've got a real dark room and are you gonna print silver make silver prints? Yeah, I've got um I've got a, a, a an outbuilding which I use as a dark room. Okay. And funnily enough, I just videoed it yesterday. Uh so I've I've linked it on Facebook and Instagram for people. Uh it it's nothing special. I don't have water in there. Um, but I, I make do with it. I don't have water. Well, you don't have water. No. Okay. So I use, um, I'll get a big tank of water uh, and like a little sink, uh, uh, like a little bucket. And then I put, uh, as I finish my prints, I put it in the bucket and then I go outside. Okay. We got that language barrier going, you know. <laughs> Which word was it this time? The bucket. Bucket. <laughs> well, you know what Winston Churchill said oh. about uh, America and, and the UK, mm. two great nations divided by a common language. Yeah. So. Yeah. Jason, anyway, Jason so, said a few things as well. Yeah, well, my favorite, I had a, a buddy of mine over here I worked with back when I worked for a, a big company. It was from... I don't remember where he was from in England, but he grew up over there, came over here. And my job was to make him into an American redneck. All right. Um, anyway, he was dating an American girl, yeah. Susan. And I asked him casually on, on a Friday afternoon, I said, so what are you doing this weekend? And he goes, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swing by and knock up Susan, and then we're going to go bike riding. Well, apparently in England, that knock up, means something significantly different than it means here. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I guess oh, in, at least to him, it meant he was going to knock on the door and wake her up. Ah, right. That's not what it means in, in, in the U.S. Somehow that over here, it means to get pregnant. Yeah, it does here, yeah. Well, apparently in some parts of England, it doesn't. I, okay. I don't know what Richard came up with on that, but it was quite a story to share at their wedding. But uh, anyway, so you have wa- you can carry water out there. You don't need a lot of water, really, no, no. For, for processing. And that's one of the things, okay, you know, we talk about myths and the way we've always done it. Um, the way people wash film, yeah. 
you know, they'll have that continuously running water. And they have this idea, I think a lot of people have this misconception that washing film is like using a a power washer on your driveway. Hmm. You know, that you're blasting the bad stuff out of the film. Yeah. And that's not what you're doing. It's really more like soaking that that dirty pan or whatever in the sink. Because what's what's happening when you wash the film, the, the chemical concentration in the emulsion wants to balance out with the chemical, con- the same concentration in the wash water. Hmm. Okay, and if you, you know, if you remember your, your chemistry, as soon as that is balanced, you're not going to get any more um, chemical out of the emulsion. Right. Once it's balanced, it, it stops leaching out. Yeah. And so... Ilford actually came up with a technique years ago where you just fill the tank with water and agitate it for like 30 seconds, dump it out, fill it again, and agitate it again. And you just keep, there's a, and again, their information is on the web and on our website. You just keep doing that and you, you don't need that constant running water. Because it's it's going to take a certain amount of time for, you know, the fixer, in this case, for the fixer to leach out and dissolve into the wash water. Yeah. Having running water through there really doesn't, isn't any advantage other than you're wasting water. Yeah. And if you could actually measure the concentration in, in the water, you, you would know exactly how long to let it sit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they have a technique out, and we've uh, experimented with it and found it to be quite successful where you fill, you know, what I do is I fill our tank three times and dump it out. Yeah. Well, I I have found, and I'll be honest, and, and someone will accuse me of heresy, mm-hmm. um, right now I don't shoot any films smaller really smaller than four by five. Okay. I have my, my Sony, um, digital mm. 42 yeah. megapixel, 43 megapixel camera that for the average stuff and, and for a lot of stuff that that works fine. Mm. If yeah. I'm shooting anything quote unquote serious, mm. I find I want movements. I want that tilt. I want to, I, I don't want a lot of tilt. Right. I want a little shift. You shift a lot. I want a little bit of tilt, a little bit of swing. And you can't get that with anything. Really, it's not, you're not going to get that anything smaller than 4 by 5 Yeah. I think that's something I'm going to have to learn, see, see when, I, when it could be useful. I mean, there's, there's so much for me to learn yet. Well, the best place for a lot of that... Um, you know, Ansel Adams' books are, are still classics. Yeah, I've got all of them as well. Yeah, his book on the camera is, he, he covers it all. Okay. And plenty of other resources out there on that. But, yeah, I find that when I'm, if I'm going to, if I'm going to shoot film, I'm going to shoot 4 by 5 I haven't made up my mind on 8 by 10 yet. I have an 8 by 10 um, Frankly, Ansel Adams was much more of a man than I'll ever be to carry that camera up the mountainside <laughs> and take the land. I mean, like now granted he had an assistant and a pack mule, Yeah. but carrying that, that eight by 10 camera and tripod around 
mm-hmm. is absolutely insane. That's actually something we're working on. That's another one of the things uh, that we're, we've got a prototype going on, a better way to, to pack a camera okay. and better way to carry it than, than what's out there right now. Because I tell you, if I can't, with the 8x10, if I can't get within about 50 meters of the shooting site, I ain't going. <laughs> it's just yeah. too much to carry. Yeah. And, you know, you're usually looking at two or three trips. Uh-huh. It's, it's so big. Um, <laughs> frankly, if I, could, if I could pick a standard size, I really like 5x7. Okay. You know, the lenses aren't that much more expensive. Um, in fact, a lot of 4x5 lenses will cover 5x7. Uh, the equipment isn't that much bigger. The negative is almost twice as big. And I like the, I like the, the ratio. I like the, the format better than the four by five or eight by 10. But, um, yeah, the five by seven is kind of my favorite format, even though I probably shoot more four by five than five by seven. But can you get, can you get the sheets? Okay. Over there. The film. Yeah. There's, there's quite a bit available. Okay. Now, one of the other things I've been experimenting with on the 8x10 is uh, Kodak's X-ray film. Oh, right, yeah. And that is, um, that's a really neat film. I'm really starting to like that. And I have cut that down uh, for the 5x7. It's a little tricky because it's kind of soft, but it doesn't have a uh, emulsion on the back. It actually has an anti-halation layer Mm -hmm. on the back of the film. So uh, it works quite well. I've, I've been quite happy with that, and I, I need to do more experimenting with it. Is that the Aerochrome? Say again? Is that the Aerochrome? That doesn't sound right. I'd have to look the, it's got, uh, I'd have to look the numbers up. I don't remember Yeah. what the Kodak, what it is. Okay. Um, it's nice to get that insight of someone who's obviously so dedicated into your work, you know. Um, it's a positive thing for us all. Um, well, we hope so. And uh, anyway, like I said, if people have questions, we're always open. Uh, send us an email. Yeah. If you have questions or comments or suggestions, um, we, we get some, yeah, we've gotten some very, we get a lot of positive feedback. I'll say that. Um, we get a lot of unsolicited um, compliments on the film tank. That's good. Though we get a few, like I said, I think of the thousands of tanks we've shipped, we've had four of them returned. And I think all three of the four of those were for silly reasons. I think the guy just couldn't figure out how to <laughs> take a lens <laughs> off in one case. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, um, so that was really uh, encouraging. On the positive feedback we're getting, and we look for other ideas and improvements and suggestions. So, if anybody's got anything, they can send it over. Oh, that's good. I, th- I think now we're in this bit where a lot of people are reliant on each other. So, you've got Jason with his dry plates, he's reliant on someone making film holders, he's reliant on you to make a way of developing. You know, we're still relying on Kodak and Ilford, aren't we? Um, well, and what's what's really interesting, it's always interesting when people find out you shoot film. 
and the, you can still buy film. <laughs> and how many times I've heard that you can buy film. Yeah. And I've had people approach me. I was out in the mountains a couple of years ago when I had a, uh, um, I was on my crown, or there was a speed graphic, a graphic camera, one of the Graphlex cameras, I don't remember which one. And somebody approached me, asked me how old the camera was. You know, they just don't believe you can still shoot film. Mm. Now you look at it, Kodak is reintroducing, they reintroduced Ektachrome. I've heard that mm. uh, Fuji is reintroducing, uh, which one, the Neopan? Is that right? All right. They're, they're reintroducing a film, and there's three or four others in Europe that are introducing new films or reintroducing a film that had been stopped. So yeah, yeah, it looks like it's swinging back up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's just a smaller marketplace and everyone's sort of never, it's never going to be what it was. That's right. Yeah. Um, and and I know you guys have obviously lived through it, whereas some of us have never seen it. So, yeah, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna go back to what it was, which may be a good thing, um, in some ways. You know, some people look at it and they say, and I've talked to a lot of professional photographers. One of them told me he says I, I used to make a lot more money, I used to make a lot of money, charging people for the ninety percent that they couldn't do. Yeah. You know, there's so much I could do that they couldn't do. I made a lot of money at that. Now. I'm making less money, but I'm focusing on that 10% that they can't do. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, good. Because the, the equipment has changed so much, and it, it's just a lot easier. Right now, you know, some people have lamented that, well, photography is dead. Everybody has a camera in your phone. Everybody has a smartphone camera. Well, I look at it, and a few others have, as well, everybody's a photographer now. Every teenage girl, every guy, you know, everybody is a photographer and a significant portion of them after taking a picture of their lunch, you know, five days in a a row with a smartphone, they start looking at other work from other photographers and go, well, I would like to do better. You know, I want to, I want to make a picture like that and they get more serious about it. And so that opens it up a whole nother market where everybody who's right now just kind of an amateur photographer, we need to cultivate them and help them become an artist, you know, an artist of a photographer and encourage that. And along that lines, I don't think we appreciate what George Eastman did. When you stop and think about it, I mean, I have pictures, I have some pictures of my great grandparents that were born in the 1800s. Wow late 1800s i have some pictures of them almost everybody on the you know around now has pictures of their grandparents or great-grandparents but when you went back to 19 you know 100 years ago in 1919 you know we'll pick on that year nobody or very very few people had a picture of their grandfather yeah if he died before 1860 1870 there was no picture. Yeah. The daguerreotype hadn't been invented until basically 1839, 1840. Yeah. And uh, so when George Eastman came along and said, here's the camera, take the pictures, we'll process the film and send it to you. 
all of a sudden everybody was taking pictures of their family. Yeah. And and pictures of their vacation, pictures of ordinary life, and it it changed the world. Yeah. It changed it as much as the smartphone ca- smartphone camera is changing it now. Though I would say that it was probably a more positive effect a hundred years ago. You know, now with the smartphone camera, when there's or the digital, where there's no cost associated with clicking the shutter, you get an awful lot of garbage. Yeah. You know, where even if there's a small cost associated with it, you get a much better product. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So. Oh, that's cool. Um, so we're at the point of the show where I normally ask my guests some random questions. I'll make up some random answers. <laughs> so um, this is my bit where I get to have fun with you. So here goes. Uh, I'll start with you something simple. You've just entered the afterlife. You get to choose any animal and they will bond with you for eternity. What would you hmm. choose? That would be a tie between a, a bald eagle and somehow a wolf comes to mind. Okay. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Hmm. Probably, probably, I don't know. Somehow, uh, I'm not really a big dog person. Yeah. Well, I may maybe a maybe a you know if the tiger is completely friendly, obviously. Oh yeah, she'd be our friend. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a tiger would be fun. Yeah. I might go with a tiger. Be nice to have something like that. Yeah, something like that. At least you won't ever have to worry about anything. Well, hopefully in the afterlife we're not going to have to worry about anything anyway. No, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So. I, yeah, don't quote me on that though. Okay. <laughs> um, now, this one actually came from my daughter. So um, it's quite a profound. The bear in mind, she's six years old. Uh, sometimes the six-year-olds have the most profound questions. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's something we've found recently. Um, why, Just... did... <laughs> why did God make us? Why did God make us? God made us because... He wants us to know him and enjoy him and fellowship with him forever. That is a good answer. I'll My daughter asked me the same question. It is. <laughs> wait, wait till she asks you where babies come from. Mm, oh, God. Yeah. No, not yet. Yeah, that, wait, wait till, wait, just wait. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of embarrassment things as a father, isn't there? You know, I, I tell my girls, um, don't. I, I've warned them, don't ever play the embarrassed dad game. Yeah. Because you'll not win. Okay? I was there when you were born. I watched that whole process. You're not going to embarrass me after that. Yeah. That that whole childbirth thing changed your my perspective of the universe. And... Uh, so, yeah, it's quite interesting. And I have a very, very open relationship with both my girls. I've had discussions with them I never thought I would have with a daughter. <laughs> I can anyway. imagine, yeah. That's nice, though. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. 
It tells you something about your character, doesn't it? Um, your second one. When was the last lie and when was the last compliment you gave someone? Could it be the same thing? It could be, yeah, yeah. Um, boy, I last lie. I honestly don't remember. Oh, wow. I, I don't. You're an engineer, I know. Don't tell lies. That, that could be part of it. Mm -hmm. um, I honestly. I'm trying to think. There's got to be something. You don't tell little white lies then? Well, I found I usually don't need to. Mm. You know, if you look at any of the sitcoms on TV, they all started with a little white lie. Yeah. Almost every sitcom, if the guy just told the truth, you wouldn't have ended up in that messy situation. <laughs> but I, I'm trying to think. I, uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I implied to a customer recently that we had parts on order mm -hmm. that weren't actually on order at that exact minute. Okay. Part of a compliment. Um, I guess I don't do a lot of complimenting either. No? I can't, yeah. The one uh, fast food place here had a uh, kiwi lime um, slushy drink that I wasn't too keen on, but she said we ought to try it anyway, and we did. And I did go back and tell her, you know, you're right. That was really good. Okay. So I guess that would be the last yes. <laughs> hours ago. That would be the last compliment, I guess. It's quite recent, then. So... That's fair enough. Um, the digital world is full of updates and upgrades, but what function or part of your body would you like to update or upgrade? So there's no limits to your imagination here. Oh, yeah, my imagination runs pretty well. Mm. Um, you have to limit it to one? No. Oh, no, oh. someone came up with all sorts of stuff. Well, I I am tired of wearing bifocals. Okay. You know, and years ago I was wow, this was quite a while ago. I was I went in, you know, like I said, I we I fly, and you have to have a flight physical every few years. At least back then you did. And the doc looks at my test results and go goes, "Are you wearing Are you wearing bifocals yet?" Hmm. And I said, "No." He goes, oh, you're close. Oh. And he was right. A few weeks, it was within a few months of that. It was just like it clicked, and I had to get the bifocals. Okay. And I'm suspicious that my hearing's not quite what it used to be. Okay. You know, I, I've, I've noticed that my hearing isn't quite what it, what it used to be. But other than that, um, I don't, don't have any major complaints. Yeah. I think everything else... For my age, I'm doing pretty good, but uh, I say I'm tired of the bifocals. Yeah. And especially, I, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but I changed glasses. I have a, I have my regular bifocals and my computer glasses. Yeah, I have both as well. Yeah. It's a pain. So, I, I hate it in my job. Yeah. It's, um, so that would probably, probably be the answer to that. Yeah. No, that's a fair comment. Um your last one. So you get to have a pint, give a present, 
I'll punch each of the following. Tim Berners. Have a point. Have a point. Yep. You're talking about having a beer with him. A beer, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I forgot my language. Can we substitute wine for that? Yes, yeah, that's fine. Because I've never had a beer I wanted a second glass of, and I've tried them all. Oh, okay. And have you, on that subject, I'll digress on you. Have you seen that Kodak has come out? They've developed a, a beer, or they've worked with some brewery to come up with a beer you can use as a film developer? No. That was out in the that was in the press here recently. Um, it seems like a really expensive developer. I can't believe that's cost effective. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. But you can use beer as a developer, and people have used um, coffee, of course, and other yeah. other things. Anyway, so go ahead. Uh, <laughs> a beer. Yep. Yeah, uh, give a present. Or punch. Okay. So you've got Tim Berners Lee. Timothy Dalton. Uh, you have to tell me who the first one. Who's the first one? So Tim Berners-Lee is uh, the guy who invented uh, WW, uh, World Wide Web. Oh, yes. Yep. Okay. Timothy okay. Dalton, um, the one of the ex-James Bonds. Yeah. And yeah. Tim Allen, the comedian from Europe. Oh, well. So it's it's a one-to-one? Yes. You can't do, you can't do all – you can't well, have a pint. for you, I will let you. I. What's the present we're giving them? Anything. Because you'd be meeting them, so. Oh, you'd be meeting them. Hmm. Um, I would. I would like to have a pint with all three of those. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Tim Allen. I love his comedy. Yeah, he's funny. And, and I don't know if you watch his show now, Last Man Standing. I haven't seen it yet, but I know about it. Yeah. Yeah, that one is, and they canceled it suddenly. Now they brought it back. Um, it's still pretty good. I enjoy that. Okay. Um, the uh, Tim Tim Dalton, he was okay as James Bond. Yeah, he won't know it's special. Pierce Bronson is my was my favorite, and okay. um, I, I know my wife has had a crush on him for years. Oh. <laughs> I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the first guy, the guy who invented the web, certainly from a technical standpoint, I'd like to meet him. So uh, I, I would probably actually be willing to sit down and have a beer with any of those guys, even though I don't like beer. Yeah. So if that's a fair answer. That is a fair answer. Yeah, I'm off for that. <laughs> well, um, I just want to say thank you for that. Hey, you bet. So what I normally do is give people um, a couple of minutes to tell our lovely listeners um, where they can find your products, your website, that sort of thing? Well, we have uh, two main websites. We have the www.steerman press. That's S-T-E-A-R-M-A-N press um, dot com. Uh, Steerman is a, for those who don't know, Steerman is a big World War II um, era biplane. It was uh, a mainstay of the training fleet back in the 40s. And we happened to be on Stearman Court. Uh, we're, on, we're on the Stearman Court. So that's where that came from. We also, the store is at shop, you know, S-H-O-P, shop.stearmanpress.com. Okay. And, of course, I assume you have links and stuff available to everybody. I certainly um, do. Those are, 
those are our two main websites um, that have the blogs and links to everything else. Okay. What, uh, what are you more active on then, Tim? Are you uh, Instagram or Facebook or just your website? Mainly the websites. Um, we've, we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't get me started on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> as far as advertising and you know we've done some experimenting with it and we'll probably do a little more um really it's not very effective media mm-hmm. and if you're trying to get hold of us and you send us a facebook message don't be surprised if it takes us a while to see it yeah. people don't really understand how a lot of people use it and they don't really understand how it works or how it doesn't work and how expensive it can be for a company to try to do anything with it and all those stories about Facebook being evil, I think, are basically true. Mm. So we, we kind of avoid Facebook. Um, I need to be doing a lot. It's on my list of things I, I need to be doing is posting on Instagram a lot more often. Mm. The problem with Instagram, of course, is it's difficult to post from a, from a PC. Yeah, it is, yeah. You know, so you've you got to go into the developer tools and you've got to, you know, turn on mm-hmm. things. And do it. It's a hassle. Yeah. And why they've implemented that, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, we are on Twitter. We should be doing more on Twitter. But, again, it's it just been too busy chasing other things down. No, that, that's cool. So We have links for everything on our website and stuff. So I'll get the links added to the show notes. Yeah. Um, it'll go on my website as well, so everything can be linked for you there as well. Um, so all I need to say is thank you so much again, Tim. Hey, well, thanks for having us, and we'll you know probably talk again in a few months and yeah, update you on what's going on. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Um, it it's always nice because it gives people opportunity to try new things, which is yeah. you know what I'm trying to do is showcase everyone's stuff. Um, everyone's really nice in this community, and uh, you know I'm keen to help everybody as well. Well, it's one of the one of the things I've observed. I mean, like I said, we've run into a few whiners and complainers. Yeah. It's probably it's probably a fraction of one percent, if that. Most people are well meaning, they're willing to help, they're willing to teach others, they're willing to share whatever they can share. Um, most you know, it is a it is a very uh, friendly and I would say optimistic community for the most part. And I say, if, if someone is in the area and wants to try out our 8x10 tank, 8x10 tray system, we can probably arrange that. Mm. No, that'd be cool. Um, if not a lot of stuff. Well, uh, one thing I should throw at, if you want to process 4x5, mm. um, we have a distributor in the UK. Okay. Um um, I'm I'm not sure how they pronounce it. I should know. I don't. It's uh, Marco Marco. Oh, Mark. Yeah, yeah. M O R. Yeah, they carry our four by five film tank. You know what? He's not even that far from me. Weirdly enough, oh. I've been to see him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they, they have it in stock, and we also have a distributor in Germany. Um, Photo Impex. I'm not sure how they. I'm sure they pronounce it differently. Yeah, I know you mean. Yeah, I've been on their website as well. Yeah, they 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 stock it there, um, and we have Freestyle out in California. 
and then of course we ship from our website and I think we have shipped every practically well obviously not every country certainly every continent except Australia or um, ah, Antarctica um, we ship a lot to Australia New Zealand um, shipped a few to Africa here and there we're still shipping to Europe occasionally Moscow um, Italy I'm trying you know, literally all over the world, really surprised me. It just shows, Don, that you hit an age. I'm sorry, you broke up there. Yeah, I say it just shows that you've hit a niche with this. Yeah, we, we've uh, m you know met a need, and uh, you know, frankly, it's it's for a half liter, and as easy as it is to load and use, um, yeah, it's hard to beat. Yeah. So. No, oh, that's cool. Right, it's uh, 11 p.m. here, so I need to get off to bed. <laughs> well, it's 11 there, so you guys are seven hours different than us. Yeah. I thought you were only six hours. Yeah. Surprising, isn't it? I think that's where uh, I messed up the timing for an hour, but... Well, you're, so you're on, you're on UTC, you're on Universal Time, right? You're zero. Yeah, I think they call it that now, yeah. See, all my life it's been GMT, and now all of a sudden it's UTC. Yeah, I thought we were six hours different. No, uh, we just we just had the daylight savings time, so yeah, we have yeah. Which hopefully, I wish they'd just get rid of that. Frankly, yeah. Um, Pick one or the other, especially if you've got little kids and that hour shift, that just screws you up. Yeah. You know, pick one or the other and leave it. I don't care which one, just leave it. <laughs> Stop okay. screwing with the clock. Yeah. It's constant pain, isn't it? Um, so. Right. Well, I'm going to get going, Tim. Um, Let's go and we'll talk to you later. I'll look for some emails and stuff from you. Yeah. Thank you very much, mate. Um, you bet. You, Thanks for having us. You have a good day, mate. You too. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tim. Yep. Bye. Well, folks, that's the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed making it. It's always great to have a guest on with me. Um, please do share the post and podcast show as much as you can where relevant. Um, if you have time, please do not forget to review this on iTunes. Uh, just hit the review button and give it five stars, please. And it's always helpful. Uh, <clears throat> it's motivation for me to keep the show going. And I want to keep this going for as long as possible. And basically, I'd like to get lots of lots of different and interesting people on here. So that's what I'm trying to do. Thank you again, and see you next time. Bye.